Welcome to our newest Hearts Unite the Globe hug patrons. Annie Olchek, we sincerely appreciate your support. Thank you for joining our community and making a difference through Patreon. Judy Miller, thank you for being our first Buzzsprout supporter for Bereave But Still Me. Buzzsprout started a new program where you can actually support the podcast of your choice. There are so many ways you can support Hug. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. Roughly about one in a thousand people do have a condition that can be very hard to detect, but that can make their heart more vulnerable to having a sudden cardiac arrest. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna. I am Anna Jaworski and the mother of an adult with a critical congenital heart defect. My child is 28 years old. My inspiration and the reason I'm the host of your program. Gwen Fossey is a clinical outreach specialist at University of Michigan Congenital Heart Center at Mott Children's Hospital. She has almost 50 years of experience in working with patients affected by congenital heart defects or CHD and their families. In her years of experience, Gwen has seen so many wonderful advances in technology, including the Pulse Ox, ECMO, 3D Echo, CT, MRI, and transplants, advances in knowledge and greatly improved outcomes and survival rates. In the past few years, Gwen has been privileged to be part of Project Adam, an outreach program to the CHD population and general public to improve preparedness to respond to sudden cardiac arrest. Gwen is on the show to tell us about Project Adam and out-of-hospital sudden cardiac arrest. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna Gwen. Well, thank you, Anna. We've talked about connecting for your podcast for a while, so it's a treat to be with you today. Oh, it's a treat for me to have you, and I can't wait to learn some more about everything that you have to share with us today, Gwen. So let's start by talking about something near and dear to your heart. Let's talk about sudden cardiac arrest, or SCA. We've done an episode with a survivor of SCA in the past, but you have something exciting to share with my listeners. Just so we're all on the same page, can you tell us what SCA is and who might be affected by sudden cardiac arrest? Let me start by saying that my career has primarily been focused on congenital heart disease. But this topic isn't really focused on CHD, but instead is about making communities safer for everyone who has a heart. So our University of Michigan Congenital Heart Center saw this as an important mission for our communities. Sudden cardiac arrest, or SCA, is when the heart suddenly stops contracting or squeezing effectively, so blood is not being delivered to the body and organs. The heart is a muscle with four chambers and four valves. Mm -hmm. And blood from the body is returning into the right side of the heart. That's blood that's already been used. And we'll refer to that as blue blood because it's low in oxygen. So it comes into the right side of the heart and is pumped out to the lungs. And at the same time, the left side of the heart is receiving that nice freshly oxygenated blood from the lungs and is sending it out to the body to deliver oxygen and energy, nutrients, and so much more. So all of that muscle pumping is stimulated by the heart's electrical system. And 
the heart beats about 80 times every minute, depending on your age, it's more or less. So while there can still be some electrical activity that the heart may generate, if it's too fast or uncoordinated, the muscle isn't really effectively pumping and squeezing. So the blood supply is disrupted to the brain and the other organs, and the person suddenly collapses and becomes right. unresponsive without warning. So that's SCA. Okay. So it would appear that they faint then. Yes. Trying to recognize what is happening is a big challenge sometimes. It's really scary to think that somebody might look perfectly fine one moment and then they collapse in front of you. And we hear about this all the time, don't we, Gwen? You see it on the football field, on the track field, with young kids even. So it's not as though it only happens with older people. Absolutely. This is something that happens in homes, churches, basketball courts, really any place that a person can be. And of course, there are cardiac arrests that occur within a hospital too. But sure. what we're focusing on is those that are occurring outside of a hospital. And you're right, it can be every age. And it could be when you're sleeping or when you're awake, there aren't very many rules. It's just a sudden collapse of the circulation and it needs a response right away. Now, do we have some statistics, Gwen, on how many cardiac arrests happen outside of a hospital and how many people actually survive? It is estimated that in the United States, it's about 360,000 people per year that have a sudden cardiac arrest in a community setting, so a home or a public space. And the hospital discharge rate, meaning surviving to the point that you get to the hospital discharge was reported earlier by the American Heart Association at about 10%. That was in 2015. But in more recent data in 2021, that rate has improved a bit, but we can certainly still make it a lot better. So it's at about 10.5% survival to hospital discharge currently. Wow. That just amazes me that it's that low. That's really scary to me. My husband used to be a paramedic. I don't know if you knew that, Gwen, but once upon no. a time, early yeah. in my marriage, <laughs> my husband was a paramedic and the scary thing for him was going on the scene and somebody unresponsive with people standing by doing nothing. If you have somebody who will jump in and start doing CPR, you usually have a better chance of surviving, don't you? Oh, absolutely. That is where the key is. And that is really what's most desirable for me in doing this podcast is to spread that word and encourage people to be prepared to respond if they recognize this. You know, we know that about one in 110 or 100 children will be born with a birth defect of the heart, an anatomical difference in their heart. But we also are becoming more aware that about one in a thousand people, this is very rough because some conditions that make the person be at risk for sudden cardiac arrest occur in about one out of 500. Others occur in one out of 2,000. But roughly about one in a thousand people do have a condition that can be very hard to detect, but that can make their heart more vulnerable to having a sudden cardiac arrest. There's a CARES registry, which is a part of the emergency medical system, but 
It's the cardiac arrest registry to enhance survival. So CARES registry. And in 2018, a study that was done by Dr. Izzy and others showed that of those cardiac arrests that they saw, about 7,000 of them were children 18 years or less. And the oh median age. Oh, my goodness. Age, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So they're definitely the minority of people who are having sudden cardiac arrest are children. But we also found that the median age of the child having that arrest was 11 years old. And I think we don't think of them being that young, typically. But that... oh, you don't, because often when you see it, it's somebody in high school. You assume it's a yes. little bit older. Interesting. And I think what you're pointing out, too, is what we see are those that are likely to be captured in a space where people may take pictures or there may be even mm -hmm. recordings. So sure. we're more tuned in to arrests that athletes might have during right. the course of play. Sure. But that certainly is not the bulk of sudden cardiac arrest. It's just what we are more able yeah. to visualize. Well, so. and it's what makes it into the news. Absolutely. So, because we are a much more vocal community, especially the last two decades, we've seen such a great reporting ability of the common person, thanks to Twitter and Facebook and lots of different types of social media, people's awareness of sudden cardiac arrest has risen. And people who have been affected have started taking measures into their own hands. In Round Rock, Texas, which is less than an hour south of where I live, there is a nonprofit that provides AEDs in the schools. And for those of you who are listening who don't know, an AED is an automatic external defibrillator. And these devices can save lives. When my husband was a paramedic, the paramedics had defibrillators that they could bring. And they always show that in ER movies. It's very dramatic, don't you think, Gwen? Oh, but absolutely. And I think it is wonderful that the automated defibrillators now exist because they're so easy to use and they can really talk a person who's never been introduced to one how to use it and talk them through it. It's always a little more comforting if you've had a little experience and, I know. and have had a chance I to wish, use it. But, I wish but, we had classes where we could learn how to do that. I'm a recent grandmother. And before my grandbaby was born, my husband and I took a class on how to do CPR on infants because it had been such a long time since we had worked with infants. My husband's now a CRNA, so he <laughs> does sure. completely different things than when he was a paramedic, although he still does intubation. But And he, he still uh, has to be ready to defibrillate if he needs to. He certainly does. He certainly does. He has all those skills. He was an ICU nurse for a while as well. And you learn a lot in the ICU as far as sudden cardiac arrest, because unfortunately it does happen in the hospital. But like you said, we're going to focus today on SCAs that happen outside of the hospital. We are seeing AEDs all over the place now. You see them in the airports, you see them at the shopping mall, even some community centers have them. How important is it for people to know what an AED is, Gwen? And how important is it for people to not be afraid to grab one and use it if they need to? That is what will save lives, is being aware of where those AEDs are. 
in being able to access them and it's critical. One other thing that was found with the CARES registry data related to children was that anybody that was less than 12 years of age, they were less likely to have an AED started or placed on them. Mm. So the public needs education that AEDs are effective for children too. And sometimes one might worry about putting an AED meant for an adult on a child. Ideally, we'd love to have the pediatric kind of defibrillator for a child. But if there is no other option, one would encourage you to place the AED on the child too. And I think for your listeners, we may want to say that fibrillation is when the heart is just quivering and it's not really pumping. So there's Mm -hmm. still electrical activity, but Mm -hmm. it isn't effective at circulating blood. So what the defibrillator does is shocks the heart, stops the rhythm, and lets it restart without that shivering motion. Ideally, it's what happens and that you can return to having an electrical activity that supports a pumping heart to be effective in creating circulation. Home Tonight Forever by the Baby Blue Sound Collective. I think what I love so much about this CD is that some of the songs were inspired by the patients. Many listeners will understand many of the different songs and what they've been inspired by. Our new album will be available on iTunes, Amazon.com, Spotify. I love the fact that the proceeds from this CD are actually going to help those with congenital heart defects. Enjoy the music. Home Tonight Forever. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement. You are listening to Heart to Heart with Anna. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our show, please send an email to Anna Jaworski at Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. That's Anna at hearttoheartwithanna.com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Anna. In a previous segment, Gwen, we learned what SEA is, but we didn't really talk a whole lot about who is at risk. So let's talk about who is at risk and what we should do if We know we're at risk for an SCA. I think one of the best answers to this question was actually presented by Roberta Metzola. Roberta Metzola is the president of the European Parliament. And earlier this month, in her opening statement for the European Cardiac Arrest Awareness Week, she commented, that out-of-hospital sudden cardiac arrest is the third leading cause of death in industrial nations, where deaths from other forms of heart disease have been reduced. For thousands of those deaths, we could make things better and we could improve the current survival rate. So I think all of us are on board to advocate for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even if we could just save one life, Think about the ripple effect of saving that one life. What can we do? We talked earlier about 
knowing where the AEDs are, not being afraid to use them, not being afraid to use them on children. But what signs should we look for, Gwen, so that we would know that it is an appropriate time to use it? I want to answer that kind of in two parts, that there are a number of causes for sudden cardiac arrest. So the most common one is actually that the coronary arteries in an older person has led to a problem that can affect the electricity. We need to separate the fact that a heart attack is not a sudden cardiac arrest. What we think of with a heart attack is somebody who has chest pain and gets breathless and sweaty, and that comes on gradually. This is Mm. a very sudden situation. So the recognition, as we've discussed, is so important. But Mm -hmm. we do know, too, that there are people who are aware that they have conditions such as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, long QT syndrome, Brugada syndrome, and a number of others that can be inherited. So you can learn through your family history. But many of these people will never experience a cardiac arrest, fortunately. But when that risk is known, there are things you can do to help avoid the arrest. Knowing what your condition is triggered by to cause a sudden cardiac arrest is important. Is exercise a trigger? Is loud noise a trigger? What kinds of things do you need to avoid? Are there medications that can make your condition more vulnerable? There's a website called CredibleMeds.org, and they have an awesome reputation for really cataloging drugs that can prolong the QT interval in somebody where that can be dangerous. It can be dangerous in all of us, but in particular for people who already have a long QT syndrome, which is a part of your electrocardiogram. Also, making sure that if your care team has recommended various medication, that you take them reliably mm-hmm. and that you are yeah. in touch with your primary care provider if there are symptoms. So following all those directions are important, of course. But all that said, the bottom line is that any person that is unresponsive and is unconscious, you have to assume they've had a sudden cardiac arrest. Oh, okay. And the faster that you can start CPR or cardiopulmonary mm-hmm. resuscitation and hopefully call 911 or call your emergency responders, hopefully somebody's doing that whilst another person's starting the compressions on the chest. And then mm-hmm. also if there's an AED accessible to get that to the victim and on the victim as quickly as possible. Those are very important steps for everybody to be aware of. Okay. And those are all things that we can do. I know since the pandemic, people have been more afraid of germs than ever before, and that the American Heart Association is now even suggesting that you do CPR without taking breaths just to have some action being performed on a person. My husband doesn't agree with that. I'm wondering what you think about that, Gwen. He really believes that the breath part is important. The data are showing that the breaths are particularly important for little children, Mm. but that should not be in any way something to stop somebody from doing CPR. Right. Really, lousy CPR is better than no CPR. The person is dead if you don't do something. And Mm -hmm. the AED cannot shock somebody if it doesn't detect a shockable rhythm. 
So continuing to do some compressions on the chest, continuing to pump that heart can hopefully try to maintain some electrical activity in the heart that then can be a shockable rhythm. I think the most important thing is you need to try. And the more aware you are of how to do that, the better. But even before the pandemic, the possibility of doing what we call hands-only CPR, meaning you're only doing the percussion of the chest or the compressions of the chest, was something that was really being advocated for. People would get really confused, get concerned about doing the breaths, not know how many. We just need to simplify. Mm. The plan of attack we will call call push shock. So call 911, push hard and fast in the center of the chest and shock them if there's an AED available. That's good. That's something easy that people can remember. Call push shock. I like that. That is something that Project Adam has really supported along with some other organizations that have a common goal of preventing sudden cardiac death. Let's talk about Project Adam and how you got involved with that, Gwen. We are really fortunate that the Department of Health and Human Services in Michigan convened a group about 10 years ago. It was an alliance with many stakeholders from all walks of life to really focus on how can we prevent sudden cardiac death in the young. So the arrest is something that we wish we could always prevent, Mm -hmm. but we don't know how to always prevent the arrest. So what we want to do is if the arrest occurs, we want to be prepared to prevent the death from happening. Project Adam was founded by Adam Lemel's family. I think in 1999, Adam was a young man in Wisconsin playing basketball and had a sudden cardiac arrest. And unfortunately, there was not the ability or the wherewithal to respond to that arrest. So his family has created Project Adam, which is in memory of Adam, and it stands for Automated Defibrillators in Adam's Memory. And they worked with Children's Hospital Wisconsin and Dr. Stu Berger and others to really create a plan of how could schools be better prepared. So they advocate for cardiac emergency response plans in schools where You encourage a certain amount of people to be prepared with CPR training, and you can train a certain percentage with more formal training from the American Heart Association or American Red Cross Mm -hmm. or others, Mm -hmm. the basic life support kind of training with the breaths. Yeah. But there are also programs for training for hands-only CPR, and those are Mm -hmm. available online too. Yeah, I've seen them online. So this is something everybody could do. And they give an introduction to the defibrillators too. So you can see Mm -hmm. how they work, how you position them, what they sound like. Mm -hmm. So Project Adam really advocates for the schools to have a written cardiac emergency plan with all of this laid out ahead of time, that they know who their response team is, that they know where the AEDs are placed and available, where they can be accessed. And to the victim, ideally within two to three minutes yeah, in managing them so that mm-hmm. the pads and the batteries are all not expired. Oh, yeah. That's not something you think about, Gwen. See these all over the place, but you don't think about. 
How often are they checked? Are the batteries still intact? That's a really good point. And that has been a problem. There have been times when defibrillators have been placed, but they're not functional. And obviously that's a tragedy. Yeah, we need to check our AEDs at least once a year, like you're supposed to check your smoke alarms. We actually recommend every month and keeping a log at the school and that somebody's Ah, responsible for that. Good. Then that way, if you miss a month, it's probably still okay. And there are dates on them that can let you know when they should be replaced by. But still, it's important to check them because if they have been exposed to cold or heat or whatever might change the life expectancy of the pads and batteries. I didn't even think of that, but that's a real problem here in Texas because we really only have two seasons, hot and cold. (laughs) (laughs) And it's extreme hot. Yeah. So, yeah, I imagine that could change things. And in Michigan, you have extreme cold. (laughs) Yes. So we have to protect those AEDs, make sure they're in cabinets that are... Yeah. Protective of the elements. Sure. Another very important part of the Project Atom plan is to practice. So you have to do Mm -hmm. drills with your team and you want Mm. to also make sure the whole staff, the whole school knows about what this process is so that they can all support the process, be aware can activate the team if they see something happening. We would always prefer that we overreact rather than underreact and then work with the local emergency medical services so that they know the plan, they know where to arrive, they know what the school's capable Mm. of. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting, Gwen, because I remember being a little girl in school and doing fire drills. And I imagine fires in schools are much less common than something like this would be. So why don't we do drills? I think that's brilliant. They really should do a drill and make sure everybody knows where to go, who's in charge, where things are that need to be accessed, like the AED. That's wonderful. So is this actually happening in the schools in Michigan? At schools that have taken that task, and I will be providing certificates to seven schools on Wednesday this year. But Mm -hmm. we recently awarded nearly 200 schools for accomplishing it this past year. We had an award ceremony earlier this month. But just to go back to the drills a little bit, I think people are familiar with fire drills, tornado drills, and unfortunately also lockdown drills currently. When we look at fires, the last fire that killed somebody in Michigan in a school was in 1927. So almost 100 years ago. Wow. And the last time somebody died in a school from a sudden cardiac arrest is within the past year. Wow. That brings it home, doesn't it, Gwen? It really does. And I think the other thing people get really nervous about is a fire drill or whatever. You have to evacuate the whole school. Mm-hmm. This drill, you don't. This is mm. a drill about one specific victim of an emergency. Mm-hmm. And you may have that drill in the gym or you may have mm-hmm. it in an office or a classroom. And it's really about the people that are responding. You don't have mm-hmm. to evacuate the whole school. Right. What you do want to do is have the staff at the school be prepared to keep the students in the classrooms out of the hallway so that emergency personnel can get in and consider those kinds of things to be prepared for. 
I think one of the things that's scary with something like this, and maybe one reason why people don't want to do drills, is that it points out the vulnerability of the human body. How do we prevent our kids from being traumatized or terrified when something like this happens? When you're doing a drill for this, I feel like what we're exposing children to with other types of drills are probably even more potentially damaging or concerning for children. So I think what we do is show them that we're prepared to react and we learn from the drills so that we can improve our performance. We time them so that you know how quickly you responded, how quickly the AED was placed. So I think you really show the children a way that they can all be helpful in being prepared. A really neat example of this happened this year in Michigan. A student collapsed. It was not a sudden cardiac arrest. I will tell the ending of the story right there. But but a really, really great little nine-year-old third grader ran and got the AED and brought it back to that student's side. Wow. They didn't need to use it, but that really just shows the power of children. Really, the Project Adam affiliates are primarily all within a children's hospital. So those are the organizations that have affiliated primarily. And that's a great infrastructure and support system for a Project Adam affiliate. And it gives the schools that backbone of a children's hospital supporting the process that they're going through. Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.babyheartspress.com. Her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother, an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community. Anna's other books, My Brother Needs an Operation, The Heart of a Father, and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome, a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more. Heart to Heart with Anna is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the Hug Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to uplift, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at www.congenitalheartdefects.com for information about CHD, the hospitals that treat children with CHD, summer camps for CHD survivors, and much, much more. Why is it that all athletes and all kids don't have EKGs and ECHOs to determine if they are at risk for something like SCA? All of us would love the possibility of being able to detect this in everybody. Unfortunately, through the American Heart Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American College of Cardiology, there has not been a reliable way, even with electrocardiograms, or echocardiograms, which assess more the function in the arteries and vessels of the heart. We can't detect everybody. And even somebody with Wolf-Parkinson-White, it may not be detected under the right circumstances. Mm. We do realize that you look at EKGs, you look at echocardiograms, 
Genetic testing is another way that can catch some of these conditions. But mm-hmm. all of these require the right systems and the right people to be able to interpret them correctly. And there just is no consistently True. reliable detection, we'll call it a recipe, that has been found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we will continue to do the research and we will continue to follow the recommendations that exist. Currently, the American Academy of Pediatrics just last year came out with an updated guideline on what we call primary prevention. So primary mm-hmm. prevention is preventing the arrest, where secondary prevention is prevent the death if the arrest occurs. Right. So we've been okay. talking primarily about secondary prevention. Mm-hmm. So what is currently recommended by the American Academy of Pediatrics is focused on all children not just athletes, which has been something we've done in the past, mm-hmm. but screening all children with their primary care provider and looking for specific questions. Certainly a good physical exam, of course, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. But there are some very specific questions that can give you a clue of who may need to have more thorough testing. And those questions are, have you ever fainted or passed out or had an unexplained seizure? Suddenly and without warning. Do things like that happen when you hear a sudden loud noise or some kind of trigger like that? Question number two, have you ever had exercise-related chest pain or shortness of breath? And this one gets tough because kids do get short of breath. That's normal with exercise. But we're really talking about having a good conversation with that primary care provider to ascertain Just how significant is that shortness of breath? Or is it really kind of -of run-of-the-mill feelings that you get with exertion? So very importantly, has anyone in your immediate family, including parents, grandparents, siblings, or even more distant relatives, died of heart problems or an unexpected sudden death before the age of 50? This would include things like drownings or unexplained auto crashes Mm. where... The relative was driving the car. Sure. Or even sudden infant death syndrome. Mm. Number four question is, are you related to anyone with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or various syndromes such as Marfan syndrome, arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy, long QT syndrome, short QT syndrome, Brugada syndrome? Or another one called CPVT, which stands for catecholaminergic polyventricular tachycardy. Oh, my gosh. Hey, listeners, I'm not going to give you a quiz on this. Wow. I had no idea there were so many different kinds, but it makes sense. The electrical system in the heart is complicated. And the pumping system is all controlled by that electrical system and also the strength and the condition of the myocardial cells. So all of these questions could then help direct. We're seeing something that isn't quite proper here. And then that individual can be referred for more thorough testing with a really trained expert in pediatric cardiology, or in some cases, it's adult cardiology. But I think these really planned and proper referrals and a really good relationship with the primary care provider are really helpful to make this work. We know that no screening will detect everyone. Right, right. I think probably what we should think of is that anybody with a heart is at risk for sudden cardiac arrest. (laughs) 
that makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense. If you have a heart, you're at risk because something could go wrong with your heart. And to keep track of any problems that you might have had, even if it only happens every once in a while, were you doing a certain activity? I never thought that loud noises could affect you, but yeah, maybe a loud noise could. So what are the conditions surrounding if you felt faint or if you did pass out? Those are significant signs that should be reported to the pediatrician or not everybody takes their children to a pediatrician, but their family doctor should be alerted to that. I'm glad to see that we're thinking about this as a community. It's just like with pulse oximetry. Now it's a law around the United States anyway that babies aren't discharged from hospitals without having a pulse oximeter put on their little finger or their hand or their foot so that we can hopefully catch at least some of those critical congenital heart defects that may go undetected the first 24 hours of life. For sure. The awareness is really what's so important. It is. The other thing, too, is once an individual has suffered a sudden cardiac arrest and hopefully survived, but if they haven't survived even, to make sure we explore that thoroughly enough. Even in autopsy, tissue and blood can be retrieved so that the genetic testing can be done to see if there are family members who should also have that testing. And I know of one case in our state where that finding from the victim who died led to finding at least 14 other family members who had the genetic change and had, oh, wow. Then they are able to be monitored, take medications that can help the electrical system of the heart be less inclined to start a bad rhythm. They can avoid trigger things that might put them at more risk. So it, it really is important to learn what we can. And that clearly has been a message that we've learned over the past decade even more thoroughly. I'm glad you said that because I think a lot of people, when somebody dies suddenly, they're so traumatized by it, Gwen, and they feel that it's scary to think of somebody cutting into your loved one, even after they've expired. But the benefits that can be gained from that are probably worth it, especially if you can save a life. As much as TV and movies may not make you think so, it is done respectfully and it can be done in a limited fashion. The autopsy can really focus on just the areas where there's a concern of what might have caused the death. And at the very least, obtaining some blood sample or tissue sample from that person allows some testing to be done, minimally invasive, to capture those specimens. And I think the other thing is some people will say, I don't even want to know if I'm at risk. Most people with WPW are never going to have a cardiac arrest. Most people with long QT syndrome will not have a cardiac arrest. But there are things you can do to make sure you're one of those people that does not do it. Right. You can protect yourself even further. So knowledge certainly can be power. And I think that we need to respect the positive impact that knowledge can provide for the family members. Now that I've learned so much about this project, Adam, I'm hoping you're going to tell me that it is not only in Michigan. No, no, absolutely. And certainly it was founded in Wisconsin. And I think we were the eighth or the ninth affiliate. But I am happy to tell you 
There are now 38 affiliates in 29 different states. Wonderful. So it is spreading and projectadam.com is available so you can see where those affiliates exist. And certainly you can inquire if there is one in your state. And there are certainly a number of states where we are having conversations or in the process of becoming affiliate sites. On any given day, 20% of a community's population is in the schools. So this isn't just about the students. It's about the staff. It's about the grandparents coming to the basketball game. It's about everybody in that school. So making their schools safer. A study done by John Dresner, a sports medicine cardiologist in Washington, found that if a school had an AED on site and it was supplied by the school, the victim's chance of getting to discharge from the hospital was 80% versus it was only 50% if they had to wait for EMS to bring a defibrillator. Wow, that's huge. And a big part of that is because of the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And your EMS system can be fabulous, but it's going to take them minutes to get there. And every minute counts. Absolutely. Every minute you go without CPR reduces the ability of the brain to withstand that insult and have a meaningful recovery. So having an emergency action plan in school also improved the victim's chance of survival from 44% without a plan to 79% if wow. people had a plan. So almost twice as great absolutely. an opportunity for survival. That's worth it. Absolutely. That's totally worth it. How can schools become affiliated with Project Adam? You would want to find out if there's a Project Adam affiliate in your state. On the website, you can contact to see. Certainly, I'm happy to field any email questions as well, too. And we can let you know who the closest affiliate is. Or if you're interested in managing an affiliate in your state, we may be able to have contacts and guidance on how you can help advocate for that, too. Gwen, every state should have this. Every state should have this in their community. I don't see a downside to having a program like this. Do we have a cardiac emergency response plan in place? Every school should have this in place. And it doesn't seem to me that there's a downside to having this done. And this is something that the teachers could be trained on with their in-service and bring to the kids because once we train the kids, guess what? They grow up and become adults and then they can train people. And before you know it, you have a much better educated society that's ready. So tell me about this pound ready. And <laughs> that's something important with Project Adam. Yeah. So what is that? I think one of the things to consider too is what's happening in your own home. Do you know mm. who would do CPR? Who would call EMS? Just thinking about how it would work in your own home is always a good thing because the most common place for an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest is in somebody's home. So that's a good place to start. Then no matter where else you are, whether it's your home, at school, your business, whatever, we say be ready. And ready, the R is for recognize. You can't do anything if you don't recognize that this person who has suddenly collapsed and is unconscious and is not responsive 
They may even have some weird breathing-like motions or even some seizure-like activity because the brain is irritated when this first happens. So Mm -hmm. recognize, and as soon as you recognize, examine, do you think this is a cardiac arrest? If you think so, act. So that's the A. Ah, Ready is recognize, examine, act, which means call 911, call plus shock. So call and start the compressions. And D is for defibrillate. We hope that there's a defibrillator accessible or gets close to you soon. If that's the case. And the Y stands for you because you can save a life if you take these actions. Between February and June of 2022, we know of three lives that were saved in heart safe schools in Michigan. And that certainly is true in other states as well. One of those was an adult and two of them were students. One student was an athlete playing basketball in a scrimmage. And the other student was in his first hour classroom. Different ages, different activities. So just being ready. But one of the families did say that the hospital where the student was taken after this arrest and recovery, he was already responsive before EMS arrived. And they were there Mm -hmm. pretty quickly, but the school just performed so well. Mm -hmm. That the team at the hospital just kept telling the family, this is so amazing. The way that this was responded to at the school gave us a patient so that we can help him. Otherwise, the patient would never have come there. And the family Mm -hmm. said, this letter cannot even begin to thank the team for their amazing work that morning. But we thank you for our miracle. Oh, my gosh. When you said that there were three people who were saved and one of them was a basketball player, I thought, Oh, my goodness, this family who started this project. Yes. This is how it all began. And now it's come full circle. And instead of that athlete perishing like Adam did, this person has a chance to live a full life. Adam's father still is so supportive of all our work and such an inspiration to all of us. Recently, we learned that a school was awarded as a heart-safe school where Adam's brother was attending. Adam's relatives were present in a different state. It wasn't Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. So we will hope to put some information about that on the Project Adam Facebook page too. But it's thrilling to see that Adam has had an amazing effect and that his family is still so responsive. This is his legacy. Yes. We love being part of Project Adam. All of the affiliate coordinators We meet monthly and our medical directors, and it's just such a good group for networking and helping each other. We share all the time. I love it that you're sharing this with me and that my listeners can hear about it because most of my listeners have children with congenital heart defects, but this can happen to anybody. So all of us do need to be prepared. Gwen, thank you so much for coming on the program. I feel hashtag ready. Good. Good. I've taken copious notes, Mom. We have been talking. And friends, I will have links to all of the different websites that Gwen mentioned in the show notes. That's in the description of the show. So if you didn't have a pen handy like I did, don't worry about it. Just go to the show notes and we'll have all of those links there for you. This is an outstanding program. Thank you so much for sharing it with me today, Gwen Fossey. Oh, Anna, thank you so much for all you do for all of those who are impacted by childhood heart disease and for giving me a chance to encourage everyone to make sure their schools and their communities are safer. 
You're welcome, Gwen. I appreciate you taking time out of your day today so that maybe we can save a life. You never know who's going to listen to this program who might gain some knowledge they need. And you're right. The why, remember, friends, the why and ready means you, that empowered with knowledge, you can save a life. So it's worth it. It's worth all the time that we take to listen to this, to watch on YouTube or attend a class like my husband and I did before our granddaughter was born. Preparation and being prepared really does save lives. Every single one is about that person, that moment, and you can save a life. Perfect. That does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. Thanks for listening today. Please visit us at heartsunitetheglobe.org. And remember, my friends, you are not alone. Thank you again for joining us this week. We hope you have become inspired and empowered to become an advocate for the congenital heart community. Heart to Heart with Anna with your host, Anna Jaworski, can be heard at any time, wherever you get your podcasts. A new episode is released every Tuesday from noon Eastern time.